there. It's Eric Erickson here. It's the third hour of the program. I'm glad you're with me today. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Congratulations if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan for winning the college football championship. My apologies to those of you who are not. Um, we got a lot of people. Uh, so I, I am, I'm actually, I'm in, in my bunker studio today, but, uh, you know, I, I am technically my show broadcast out of Atlanta and traffic in Atlanta is an unmitigated nightmare because the president and the vice president have come into town together. Rarely do they do joint campaign events, but they wanted to come to Georgia to make a case for voting rights. And you should know the Republicans in the state legislature in Georgia are probably going to go even a bit further than they had been. Uh, and we'll have more belly aching. And this is a fight the Democrats have lost because of Democrats, not because of Republicans. Uh, it, it, more on that. And I got to get into the Fauci and Walensky stuff. Before I do, though, I want to take this phone call based on something I said earlier. Philip is on the phone. Philip, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi there. How's it going? Good. How are you? Hey, oh, man, I'm nervous. I ain't never been on the radio. Don't like oh, don't to be in the public it. eye. <laughs> but I, I, I listen to you all the time, and uh, I've listened to you for years. used to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and you was talking about this social media thing. And I just had some questions basically for you based on what you said. You know, you're on social media. Some people have to be on social media, and that, that was what you said. Yeah. And my question is, I'm a 45-year-old man, okay? I've never been on social media. I'm not on social media now, okay? And my life is perfectly fine. I'm perfectly happy. You know, I make plenty of money at my job, and I don't under— and and I'm a Christian, and I don't understand knowing how evil social media is, why anybody would associate themselves with it if— they felt that they were a Christian and was trying to push forth a Christian agenda because I'm pretty sure, and I'm not a Bible scholar like you, but I went to Christian school and grew up in the church. And, you know, it tells you in the Bible to flee from evil. Right. And it tells you that if you try to convert bad people, it's not going to happen. You're going to get converted. So, so when I heard you say that statement, I, it, it makes me think that like, what reason could somebody have for being on social media other than the benefits of the followers, which is going to help you make more money? And, that, and, and as a Christian, you and I both know that money is not important. Our right. soul is important. Yes. So I just don't and understand why anybody would media. even... So, okay, let, let, let me uh-huh. answer this one. And look, I, I appreciate the, the question of the spirit in which it was offered. I, I, I really do. Um, I, I would tell you that it, you're not going to, first of all, let, let's do, do this from a faith perspective to begin with. Uh, the Great Commission, go forth, preach, teach, baptize in my name. Uh, it, you got to go where people are. And there are a lot of people on social media. There are a lot of prominent theologians from John MacArthur to Tim Keller who engage on social media some better than others. Uh, it is a tool. It is a tool. It's a location. It's also a tool. It is not an inherently bad place, but it is a place where you do risk losing your soul. Uh, you know what? It, I, I would say you you got to go where people are if you want to share the gospel. Uh, that's why you have uh, Vegas is Sin City, but you have churches in Las Vegas. They're, they're not going to give up on people. 
the danger of social media is actually not social media in and of itself. The danger of social media is when you decide to define yourself by your social media presence. You can go on social media and you can just follow football accounts. And all you're getting is news about football. And there's no harm done. Follow people with recipes. So I I have a friend who on Instagram was showing me how he has so mastered the Instagram algorithm, the only thing he sees when he searches stuff is pugs. That's it. That is the only thing Instagram recommends to him. It is the only thing Instagram perceives he is interested in is pugs. And you could go online and live a happy life on social media only about that. Now, uh, to the other point, yeah, I have to be on social media by virtue of my job. Uh, In this day and age, and I got to tell you guys, I, I hate this maybe more than you think I do. I don't like to do all the self-promotion stuff that people have to do. These I, I hate it. It pains me to do it, and I have to do it. I don't like bragging about myself. There are things I like to talk about in my life and cool things that have happened, the, the humidor I got, the trips I get to take. But when it comes to my professional life, I really, I, I'm old school and think the results should speak for themselves. My fall and winter ratings on my flagship station while the Braves were playing for the World Series, are actually higher than the Rush Limbaugh show ratings during the presidential year of 2020. It makes me a little queasy to point that out. One, because it sounds like I'm being disrespectful to a dear friend of mine who's died. And two, I just think the results just be from people, people listen to me on the radio. I hate to have to go out there and wave the flag and say, hey, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Let's listen to all my, my results. But to some degree, you have to these days. Like, for example, with this show, I'm trying to get attention from radio stations around the country to pick it up. And to do that, I got to go out there and I've got to sell myself to them. And oh, I loathe doing it. But it's necessary in my line of work. If you're a reporter these days and you're not on social media, uh, you're missing news stories and you're going to fall behind. If, if you uh, cover the news as I do and you're not on social media, you're going to fall behind on stories as well. And then if you're trying to grow a brand, so to speak, and unfortunately I am, uh, just it sounds loathsome to even say that, but it's, it's something you got to do. I, Philip, I'm very jealous of you that you don't have to and that you were comfortable in your life without it. And if I could encourage you, I would say stay that way. Avoid it. Uh, I got on Twitter very early. I was an early adopter of Twitter. I tend to be an early adopter of technology. And if I could get out of it now, I would. But it is not now easy for me to get out of it, not because I don't want to get out of it, but because if I did get out of it, it would put me at a competitive disadvantage to other people in the industry. It's just, it's terrible. Uh, You know, so for those of you who haven't heard me say this before, if you want to understand what social media is, remember in the Bible, Jesus cast the demons out of the possessed dudes, puts them in a herd of pigs, they run down the hill and they drown. Well, the demons are immortal beings. After the pigs die, the demons have to go somewhere. Where do they go? Social media. That's how Twitter was invented. That's my theory, at least. Now, I got to move into the rest of this stuff. Walensky and Fauci. Rochelle Walensky, I need to tell you, Rochelle Walensky, I think, I think, I, I don't want to impute bad motives to her. Let me just, let me, let me put it to you this way. 
you don't become the head of the CDC unless you want to make a difference in people's lives. You want to do something good. Rochelle Paula Walensky, she is a physician. She is the head of the CDC. She was the chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Massachusetts General Hospital. She was a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. She is an expert on HIV and AIDS. She went to Washington University in St. Louis. She went to Johns Hopkins University for her MD. She went to Harvard for her Master in Public Health. She does not wish to just be a political appointee. She wants to make a difference. I, I, I do believe that. I don't want to impute to her bad motives. But she is clearly becoming the fall guy for the Biden administration. And on top of that, she has made missteps. And those missteps are coming back to haunt her. She's had to hire someone to be a media coach. She's out of her league on the public stage. And this is something that, that I've discovered over time in my life in politics and in Washington is there are well-meaning people who get to Washington and she's not technically in Washington, she's in Atlanta, but she's a creature of Washington by virtue of being the head of the CDC. And they get in over their heads and they think there are people throwing them lifelines and really those people are throwing them more rope to hang themselves. And Dr. Fauci is a consummate expert navigating Washington, D.C., and Dr. Fauci, I think, is sabotaging Rochelle Walensky because he's got to have somebody to make himself look good by making that person look bad. Fauci wants to be in charge and he wants to control the message and Walensky is messing up the message for him. And she has said a series of contradictory things that have made her look bad and he can take advantage of that to avoid blame. The walls are closing in on Fauci and he's got a couple of more people he can make scapegoats and she's one of them. And I thought it was notable that when Joe Biden and his administration started complaining about the lack of coordination and messaging, the media immediately started attacking the CDC and Rochelle Walensky. I, I played the audio here. This is, again, this is Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. As we've said before, as COVID goes, so goes Joe Biden's presidency. And right now, COVID is a major health and political problem. A combination of new variants like Delta and Omicron and stubborn vaccine refusal among millions has led to an all-time high in cases. Seven-day average of confirmed cases has just blown past previous records, and that doesn't even begin to account for people who don't report results of at-home tests or who are asymptomatic. Hospitalizations are spiking as well, but the death rate so far has ticked up much more slowly, owing in part to what appears to be a less severe illness that is caused by Omicron. The public is in a different place, though, than it was a year ago, and the Biden administration is desperately trying to catch up. The CDC has offered confusing and at sometimes contradictory advice. The Supreme Court seems skeptical about the best tool in Biden's toolbox, the vaccine mandates. And stay-at-home guidelines and school closures have given us a feeling of a recurring nightmare. That's, that's meet the press, the, the, the CDC. He wasn't alone. Brian Stetler on, on CNN also went after the CDC saying they've become a joke. Savannah Guthrie on NBC went after the CDC saying they've become a joke, ridiculing the CDC for the memes that have come out about the CDC. This is Senator Richard Burr 
just a short time ago with Walensky and Fauci before him in the Senate. Testing sites across the country. The testing situation was worse when many sought tests to safely return to work or to school. And the most vulnerable Americans who contracted the virus could not get the treatments designed to help because they were now in short supply. This administration has time and again squandered its opportunities and made worse in the decisions you've made on testing and treatment and most crucially in communications with the American people. The American people are right to be confused. It seems like you all don't talk amongst yourself. Some examples. Last August, the president announced that boosters would be available to all vaxxed by the week of September. It goes on from there. We don't need to keep playing this clip. You get the point here. That this is a mixed, muddied mess, and they need a fall guy. And Walensky more and more looks like she is being set up to be the fall guy. Walensky more and more looks like she is the one who is, they're going to blame. And by the way, she hasn't helped herself. She hasn't helped herself at all. And she needs help. I don't think this is a malicious woman. I think she's in over her head. I think the the, the knives are out in the Biden administration. They got to have a fall guy. And she, unfortunately, is going to be the person. But she and the CDC have not helped themselves. And I, I, I say this now, my flagship station is in Atlanta, Georgia, I know there are people at the CDC who listen to this program because they email me. You guys have got to get a clue. If you are at the CDC, you need to get a clue. You have become the butt of jokes. You can blame your leadership for this. And your leadership deserves a lot of the blame. But there's more to it than that. You have missed the plot here. America is in recovery mode now, whether you want to be or not, whether you think it's a big deal or not. And instead of trying to find a pathway out of the virus, you seem to be trying to keep your power by keeping the virus amongst us in a pandemic of fear. There are real problems there. And I think that Tony Fauci is doing way more harm than good these days. But I think he's going to outlast Rochelle Walensky at the CDC because he's a consummate political operator in Washington, D.C. He's been there a very long time. He knows how to navigate to avoid blame and without leaving a lot of fingerprints. And unless the CDC figures this out and comes up with some comprehensive, consistent messaging, it's going to bring the whole house of cards falling down pretty quickly on the CDC. And by the way, I do think with the credibility of that institution uh, suffers, we're going to suffer too. We need a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that is competent. And right now, most people are questioning that competence. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. You need access to large loans, six figures and up. Reach out to First Liberty. Their website, firstlibertyga.com. Just spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you, you for them. They make their own lending decisions and can help you get to yes often where a lot of banks are saying no right now. They want to help you grow. FirstLibertyGA.com. Roger Marshall, United States Senator from Kansas. Let me read you his background on Wikipedia. Senator Marshall was born in El Dorado, Kansas. He attended Butler Community College before going to Kansas State University, where he received a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and was a member of Beta Theta Pi. He received his doctor of medicine from the University of Kansas. 
and completed a residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Bayfront Medical Center in St. Petersburg, Florida. He is an OBGYN and served as chairman of the board of Great Bend Regional Hospital and vice president of Farmers Bank and Trust. He also served for seven years in the United States Army Reserve, reaching the rank of captain. He is a doctor. This is how Dr. Fauci was caught on a hot mic talking about him after being questioned by the senator from Kansas, a medical doctor. You are totally incorrect. Well, we look forward to reviewing it. Senator Marshall, Dr. Fauci has answered you. It is public information, and he's happy to give it to you if you would ask. Senator Moran. What a moron. Dr. Fauci, what a moron, and then references Jesus. Oh boy, that was that was Dr. Dr. Fauci, uh, Roger Marshall going after him making a making some political points about COVID and the data. And and just so you understand, one of the points of data that is frustrating people, something you and I have done a lot of time talking about, the rush of COVID data right now. The CDC is doing a terrible job of breaking out who died of COVID and who died with COVID and the distinguishing between the two. It's gotten to the point where it's become a butt of jokes that if you murder someone who's COVID positive, you can get away with it in court by arguing that maybe they died of COVID. And a lot of hospitals are, are, are having these problems. We know, for example, in New York now, they've broken this out and 51% of people in hospitals they're uh, in with COVID are there because of COVID 49% are there with COVID, but there for some other reason. Um, so slightly more there because of COVID, but a lot of people there with COVID and we got to be able to distinguish between the two, which we've known all along. And interestingly enough to begin with people were getting there with the alpha and the Delta variant or the beta variant or whatever because of COVID. But at this point, Omicron is like a head cold. So people are showing up at hospitals. They got other problems, but they're being listed as being there with COVID, and, and that's part of the problem. It, 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 the math no longer works when you do that because the Omicron variant is so mild for most people. It's not to say it can't be serious for some people, but in the same way that the flu can be serious for some people, but overwhelmingly it's not fatal. In the same way, the Omicron variant can be serious and fatal for some people, but overwhelmingly is not. Overwhelmingly even for the unvaccinated, and that's the key here, even for the unvaccinated, the Omicron variant is more like a very bad head cold. And in fact, the media is now rushing to try to dissuade people from trying to get the Omicron variant to build up their immunity. And I don't know that they're going to have a lot of success. People are ready to move on with their lives. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson. Phone lines are open. 877 877- 97 Eric 877-973-7425. I got to talk about education with you. My broken record, repetitious radio monologue, you know, every, let me, there's a dirty little secret here. Every radio show host in America has several monologues that they can fall back on when suddenly they have a brain fart. They run out of stuff. There's not a big news cycle and they can circulate back to them. Mine are pretty diverse. One of them is because of the age and moment we live in. The age and moment we live in is one where Republicans are the party of stupid people because they are stupid right now because there is a winning major issue for the Republicans that they 
at state levels around the country don't seem to be willing or able or capable of grabbing hold of and using. That is school choice. School choice is becoming an issue. Now, my perspective for this, just so you know, is in Georgia, where the Republicans are overwhelmingly stupid people who refuse to advance the issue of school choice because so many of the Republicans in the state legislature are married to teachers in public schools who are opposed to giving school choice. Listen, this is a statement of fact. The number of Republicans in our state legislature who are married to public school teachers who oppose school choice is the reason you don't have school choice in Georgia. In Georgia, it is the Republicans, not the Democrats, who are the chief obstacle to school choice. And nationwide, take Texas. Texas is another example. In Texas, Republicans are the obstacle to school choice. We should be, as Republicans, right now in the age of COVID with school shutdowns and and Zoom call classes advocating school choice. Doug Ducey is the governor of Arizona, and he gave his state-of-the-state address in Arizona, and you need to listen to this. Fifty-plus years ago, politicians stood in the schoolhouse door and wouldn't let minorities in. Today, union-backed politicians stand in the schoolhouse door and... Oh, where'd it go? Come on, Doug. Years ago, politicians stood in the schoolhouse door and wouldn't let minorities in. Today, union-backed politicians stand in the schoolhouse door and won't let minorities out. Many of our poor kids and children of color are trapped in a failing school. It's time to set these families free. 50 years ago, politicians stood in the schoolhouse door and wouldn't let minorities in. Today, union-backed politicians stand in the schoolhouse door and won't let minorities out. That, that, that is a fantastic line. And now there's this. Fox News is reporting this. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona solicited the much-criticized letter from the National School Boards Association that compared protesting parents to domestic terrorists, according to an email exchange reviewed by Fox News. The email exchange indicates Cardona was involved with the letter's creation more than previously known. President Biden's Department of Justice relied on the National School Board Association letter, which suggested using the Patriot Act against parents in creating its own memo directing the FBI to mobilize in support of local education officials. In the October 5th email, NSBA Secretary-Treasurer Christy Sweat recounted that NSBA interim CEO Chip Slavin told the officers he was writing a letter to provide information to the White House from a request by Secretary Cardona. Previous emails had revealed the NSBA was in contact with the White House and Justice Department in the weeks before it publicly sent the letter. The emails were obtained by the parents group, Parents Defending Education, in a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request. Cardona previously served as Connecticut's Education Secretary, where he supported teachers getting more woke and promoted resources on microaggression. 
Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there. You paid attention to this? The Secretary of Education got the National School Boards Association to prepare documents so that the the Biden administration could use the Patriot Act against parents. And why were the parents protesting? Why were the parents protesting? They were tired of lockdowns and they were tired of wokeness and critical theory in schools. They were tired of the shutdowns that kept their kids home. They were tired of having to stay home and not be able to go to work because their kids couldn't go to school and they couldn't find babysitters. And they were really damn tired of having their kids on Zoom calls where the teachers had gone woke and weren't educating the kids but were indoctrinating the kids. The parents themselves got to experience firsthand what the kids were not learning in school but rather were being indoctrinated about in school and they had enough. And they were showing up at school boards around the country to complain, this is what you're teaching my kid? This isn't education, it's indoctrination. And then it turns out that the school boards were treating the parents as if they were the bad guys when the parents complained. And Virginia, remember, it became a campaign issue with Terry McAuliffe who said parents should have no say in their kid's education. The Democrats did this. The Democrats kept kids at home, forced through indoctrination, and it is amazing, amazing that Republicans have not capitalized on this more at the state level for school choice. Doug Ducey in Arizona is proposing school choice in Arizona. Doug Ducey in Arizona wants to get kids out of schools. He wants to get uh, minority kids into private schools if he can. He wants to expand school choice. Here's a little more of what he said. Uh, He is on the money on this. And Republicans around the nation should pay attention to Doug Ducey on the Years ago, politicians stood in the schoolhouse door and wouldn't let minorities in. Got a standing ovation right there. And then he goes on to say this. This session, let's expand school choice any way we can. Greater open enrollment, new transportation models, more charter schools, and more educational freedom for families, especially those in failing schools or who can't afford to pick up and move to a new neighborhood. Let's think big and find more ways to get kids in the school of their parents' choice. Send me the bills and I'll sign them. Sounds like a Republican legislature in Arizona is backing him. Y'all, this is just politics 101. The Democrats are so bad at it. Uh, Right now in Georgia, as I'm talking... The president of the United States and the vice president of the United States are in Georgia 
campaigning on voting rights reform. It's an issue where it's the Democrats themselves who cannot pass the voting rights reform legislation because of Democrats. On CNN a short time ago, they had the head of the the Georgia Latino Elected Officials Association, Gallio, go on and explain why they're boycotting the event. In the New York Times, there's an article about black progressive organizations, Black Votes Matter and, and others, who are refusing to show up at the event. Stacey Abrams is boycotting the event. All the Democrats boycotted it. The, the, Martin Luther King Jr.'s own family says it was a difficult decision to decide whether or not to go. The Republicans should not be as bad at politics as the Democrats are on this issue. You have an issue handed to you on a silver platter, and are you too stupid to seize on it? Doug Ducey, the governor of Arizona and the Arizona Republicans in charge of their legislature, are grabbing hold of the issue of education freedom. They want to expand charter schools. They want to expand opportunities for children to go to private schools. They want the money that comes from the state to local governments to follow this child, not the schools. Arizona Republicans are doing it. Why the heck are Republicans in every state not doing this? Now, I get it. In some states, constitutions matter. And in some states, the Republicans can't do it because of the structure of their constitution. But in every single state, there are ways to make things happen. There are ways to make this happen. Why are Republicans not doing this everywhere? In my state of Georgia, in your state of Texas, wherever you are, Republicans should be doing this. You give the parents school choices and entitlement and dare the Democrats to take it away. It's what the Democrats did with Obamacare. It's what the Democrats have done with every entitlement. The Democrats created entitlement and dare Republicans to rein it in, thinking Republicans will lose. And oftentimes, the Republicans who campaign against these things, they do lose. And guess what? Democrats nationwide are so in the pocket of left-wing teachers' unions, they can't support school choice. They must openly campaign on ending school choice, even in Georgia, where I am. The beloved St. Stacy of the stolen election campaigns against charter schools and the Opportunity Scholarship, the closest Georgia has ever come to having school choice. If the Republicans tackle this issue, particularly as schools are closed, particularly as people are remote, it hurts the Democrats. That issue hurt Stacey Abrams in 2018. It'll hurt her again. If the Republicans expand school choice in the state, the hysteria from the teachers, and in Georgia, by the way, they don't have active teachers unions. In Georgia, they don't have powerful teachers unions. It's a right-to-work state, but they still have organized groups. And they can scream and they can complain, but I go back to the days of Nathan Deal in Georgia. For those of you outside of the state, you may not know him. He was a congressman. He was a Democratic congressman. He became a Republican governor in Georgia. And he tried to expand charter schools in Georgia. And the Georgia Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional. The only thing Nathan Deal could do was a constitutional amendment. And he was able to get that through the state legislature. At the time, the Republicans had a supermajority in the legislature. And the Democrats said, if you do this, we'll come get you. The Democrats campaigned against charter schools. The way the law would work under that constitutional amendment was that if a local school board refused to allow a charter school, the state could do it. The NAACP campaigned against it. The teachers unions campaigned against it. The teachers groups campaigned against it. Nationally, teachers unions poured money into the state to kill the measure. 
Black ministers throughout Metro Atlanta campaigned against it, saying it would destroy the schools. The Democrats nationally came to Georgia, made it a big issue. Barack Obama tried to intervene to kill the issue. It was black mothers, black moms from the inner city in Atlanta who voted two-thirds of them with the Republicans to get charter schools in the state of Georgia, to get a constitutional amendment to allow charter schools. It was black mothers who voted with the Republican Party because they want their children to get a better education because they know, they know that if their child can get a good education, they can compete on the world stage with everybody else. The mind is a terrible thing to waste, and so many minds are being wasted in public schools, and all moms and dads want is for their children to have better lives than they themselves have. Every generation of Americans has wanted their kids to have a better life, and we are at the point in this country where it's not going to happen unless we can give education freedom to parents around the country, unless we can open doors that unions and Democratic politicians are keeping closed, and they're not, as Doug Ducey said in Arizona, they're not keeping the doors closed to keep people out. They're keeping the doors closed to keep them in. Break the doors open. Let them out. Let them get choice. It's a no-brainer. It is a winning issue for Republicans nationwide. Look to Florida, a state that's always been viewed as a swing state is now a lock for the GOP because the Democrats, they can't help themselves. They always campaign against school choice. They always campaign against reforming uh, Jeb Bush's rules, rolling back what Jeb Bush did. Jeb Bush, the great education reformer in, in Florida, everybody should follow his lead. You may not like him because of current partisan times we're in, but that man turn Florida decisively into a Republican state by allowing parents choices in education everyone else had denied them. Republicans everywhere. You want to win? Here's your issue. You don't want to win? Well, have I got a sign for you. Now, I got a winning issue for all of you as well. In fact, there's an organization that helps fight the school choice movement. And you can be a part of it, help fight for school choice, to help fight for education freedom, to help fight for conservative education reform. And you know what you do? You just roll your cell phone number and your cell phone plan over to them. It's Patriot Mobile. They fight on this issue. They fight for the conservative education freedom in this country that I'm talking about. They use their profits to advance the choice of education freedom in the country. And all you got to do is you got to become a customer of them. They're conservative. They're Christians. They want your business, and they use their profits that you help them generate to fight for the causes you care about, and you get free activation with my name. You go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or you can call them, have 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-ERIC, or PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. You can go online, see their coverage map. They use the same towers everybody else uses, so you don't have to worry about the coverage. Great company, good people, and you're fighting for your causes that you care about by being a customer. <laughs> Charlie just sent me this. Alex Rorty. Uh, he is a um, he's a blue check on Twitter. I don't know who he is. Uh, watched two focus groups with moderate voters last night. Put on by a liberal group. Moderator asked first group of five women about January 6th. Long pause followed before one of the women asked what he meant. Invoking January 6th didn't immediately mean anything to them. Even days after the anniversary, the conversation didn't get much better from there for Democrats in either focus group. 
Once the conversation got going, it was clear January 6th hadn't been memory hold by the first group, but one woman said flat out it wasn't what she was worried about anymore compared to other concerns. And two others, after agreeing how awful the attacks were, said they thought Biden and the Democrats had gone too far the way they talked about last week. One of the women said she thought they had over-embellished it. Wow, I told y'all, and I've been getting hate mail for that. All right, back to the phones real quick. Scott, I got about a minute and a half. Wanted to get to you. Welcome. Hi, Eric. I know you're coming up against the top of the hour. Uh, so I'm a homeschool dad and uh, three kids, uh, all of them on the dean's list um, and all graduated on time throughout the whole concept. Um, I'm a retired Navy SEAL, so the uh, my military career is what uh, had us moving around. So we, we did the homeschool option. I also had the same problem you talked about the other day is that dad's wanting to stay home. I didn't. My wife stayed home, used 4-H and other things to do this kids. But the issue of the homeschool mom became a stigma. So I came up with the, the name that she was a generational development specialist because she is creating the next generation. Of, and it went over fabulous because all of our friends were like, wow, that's amazing. So and on top of that, the uh, just for uh, our edification is that, you know, I, we had to pay taxes for Bartow County schools while we were up here the whole time. So my suggestion is instead of going head to head against the teachers union, let's give homeschoolers a dollar for dollar tax credit for all of the stuff we had to purchase, all the miles we drove, all of the uh, curriculum we purchased, the tests we had to take. So uh, instead of going head to head, let's do something different. Let's think outside the box. Look, and I, I, think, last but, I think that's a great idea. Last but not um, least, thank you so much for being part of our curriculum because it was you that allowed us to do a lot of critical thinking every day, especially when you were having your consternation when Trump was, Trump was coming into <laughs> office. So thank you very much. Yeah, listen, Scott, thank you so much. And, and you know, you're, you're on the money here. I, I, I got to let you go there. But the tax breaks for homeschoolers, I, I think, yes, you should be able to deduct the curriculum, the travel, all, all that sort of stuff because uh, you got to pay taxes to the school board whether you want to or not. Uh, homeschoolers don't get enough credit. In fact, they're regularly maligned largely because people are jealous of how well homeschool kids tend to do in the world. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty, building and loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty, building and loan and my friends, the Frost family come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.